Hi, this is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our humanity. Hi, this is Tony Tolado, and welcome once again. And today I have Kirsten Vangsness, who, of course, we know as Penelope Garcia and Criminal Minds, but she's working on Voyage to the Stars. And, you know, I have to tell you, they really have created a character with a lot, a lot to her, a lot of layers to her. Describe Nico to us a little bit. <laughs> um, so Nico, um, if you're if you're familiar with Voyage to the Stars already, it, yeah. they're just this is their second season. So Voyage to the Stars is um, an improvised, you know, sci-fi podcast. So Nico is is uh, she is the only member of the group who is a a full hundred percent non-human, um, right. and uh, she is. Um, part of the, I always get this part wrong. I almost want to look it up because, you know, there's, we, what we get, we don't get um, scripts. We get like breakdowns of our, of kind of what's going to happen. Um, but she is a, a fulgen, I, I believe yes. is the name of her species. So That's she's right. a, um, uh, she's a fox-like creature is basically what she is. And she is from this planet and she has um, the the rest of the crew finds a Nico on um, a planet they're trying to escape from. She has her own mech. She is a very talented uh, yet sort of empathic warrior. I, I tend to get cast in sort of empathic <laughs> uh, uh, people. Um, and, uh, and also she's been kicked off of her planet because um, – she is gay, so uh, yeah. if, if she had to leave her her planet and uh, is negotiating through the galaxy, um, trying to you know sort of find herself and fight off bad guys, and and she um, ends up joining the the group. Sci-fi talk continues, so stay tuned. Yeah, you know, that's one of the things I like about her is because of that, you know, because, you know, she likes someone of her own gender. And it, what's also relatable is that she is the run to the litter. And, yeah. you know, we, we can relate to that, too, a little bit. So, too, even though she's an alien, she has very human things that we can uh, we can jump on board with. Absolutely. And I think I what I like so much about her when I had talked to Ryan originally I said, could you make, cause he kept describing her as like, um, the pictures that they showed me originally of, of, um, what they were prototyping her on to little. And I said, it, she was like a little creature cause she was the runt of the litter. So she had a little creature. So I said, you know, I get it. You want to make her small, like you want to make her short in stature, but could you make her like, like, a? I want, I want her, you know, cause the other girls are, they're they're gorgeous and glorious and all that. But I was like, just for diversity of size, can we make her a more substantial creature? So he was like, fine. But I always knew when we were recording it, we never saw drawings. So I always knew she was the runt of the litter and she was little. So there's moments and, you know, there's so much stuff we record. And yeah. we're only on uh, season two, right? Episode two of season two right now. So I don't know what, you know, they, what's going to be on the thing, but there's so many times that me as Nico, knowing that I am the runt of the litter, say something like, hold on, I can get in there because I'm tiny. What's funny is when they actually made the drawing, if you look at a picture of all of us, she's, uh, she's quite statuesque and, you know, just her tail yeah. alone is she's a big <laughs> yeah. girl. So, um, 
what I love it. I love it so much, but it's, it's, uh, it's funny because it's that it does two things. The number one plays on that idea of, you know, what that's like to be like the rent of the litter. And she genuinely does consider herself um, too small. And I think it also, it also uh, speaks to uh, the, the diversity of, you know, women, especially, but all people come yeah. in so many different um, body sizes. And not only that, w- uh, females come in so many different uh, healthy, strong body sizes. And women are yeah. so many body sizes throughout their lives for a variety of reasons, whether it be babies or stress or just, you know, falling in love with or falling out of love with a particular food or whatever. I think I, I like that about her very much. Yeah, yeah. You know, and because uh, she's an outcast, she kind of, do you think she kind of, uh, you know, from the description that she kind of has a little bit of trouble letting her guard down a little bit? Oh, for sure. Yeah, she's she's very defensive and it's hard to open up and it's hard to, but she also doesn't really have a filter. You know, she's pretty honest uh. and she's kind of ferocious and fighty. She's got a lot of fight to her, but she's not, yeah. um, she's not really like violent. She's very earnest. I think she's trying to like get the, it's, it's, it, it, she's trying to get the ropes because she's around all these, these new people who do new things that are completely different than her, um, her planet. So she's trying to figure out how to um, assimilate to the situation, but also there are people uh, on like the, um, the, uh, the, the captain, she, they don't, they, they clash because they're both too super powerful used to being in yeah. charge, you know, kind of people. So it, it is a little uh, difficult. They keep getting in, you know, precarious situations that, um, that uh, she doesn't always understand why they're mm-hmm. doing things the way they do them. Yeah, her description says, and I kind of like this quality, actually, uh, but it's like, punch first, ask questions later. Uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, and as, and as, as we went along, though, I, I do think that when you get, when you're, when you're given an improvised script, and then someone makes a description of that character, right? Mm-hmm. And then they go, that's, that's what she is. And then you get me to do it. And I'm improvising and I'm endowing that character what, with uh, whatever I think I'm going to be the person who I would say that they were probably going to have to revise that because in the episodes right now that I'm thinking of that we've done, she is definitely like, she's more like punch and ask questions at the same time. Oh, that's good. That's good. I think she enjoys a good fight. She's very strong and can fight really good. But she's also, um, I think she, she, wants, she wants to bring about peace with her fist, but she wants mm-hmm. it. Now, now, as far as recording, do you record with everyone else or is they kind of catch yeah. you when you, oh, you do. Oh, we and, all sit in the same room and we record. Yeah. That was one of the things about when they did Batman, the animated series, the actors were talking mm-hmm. about how they would, they could see each other's body language and play off each other. That's gotta be a gift whenever you can do that. Oh yeah. And, and it's not only is it a gift performance wise, but it's just, I mean, every single one of them. I'm, I am so happy that I got asked to do this because it's just a room of incredibly talented people. I mean, and each one of them are so gifted in their own way with their own specific sort of comedy specialties, if you will. Um, So just to be sitting in a room with Janet and Steve and Colton and Felicia, like is, is just an honor. And you kind of, it keeps you very much on your toes 
And you really have to, and then we get all these amazing guest stars. I mean, gosh, Aaron Hayden, yeah. and like Angela Kinsey and Oscar Nunez, like all these people that have come in, Paul Tompkins, and that are just so talented and such deft improvisers that you're sitting there and you're trying to like support. And also you're as you're, you're also being a spectator because there always is this moment where I'm like, oh my gosh, like they're all just so good. You know what I mean? That you almost want to like back away. Like it's this um, constant game you're playing with yourself of like participate and play and get involved, but then also like stay out of the way when something really magical is happening. And it's tricky because you'll look on the, you know, on the, the description of the scene, like these are the given things that have to happen in the scene. Right. But sometimes something cool is going on. Like, oh, do I interrupt that? You know, when do you go? When do you go? It's a, it's a, it's a constant dance. And <laughs> I, you know, I don't always do it. Sometimes I go in too late. Sometimes I go in too early. And then it's a constant. That's the thing about improvising that's so interesting is that like, as you're performing, you have to constantly sort of like forgive yourself. You have to be vulnerable enough to take a risk. And then you have to forgive yourself very quickly and get over it and keep trying if you fail and there's no one there really laughing, we all laugh at each other. Like there's times where we're like, you got to look away for a second because it's real funny. Um, (laughs) But you're not really supposed to break. So you're like engaged. It's really, I mean, we're, we're sitting in that room and like hours fly by and you're like not even aware of it because you're just trying, you're so hyper-focused trying to, you know, achieve the objective. No, that's, yeah, that's a, that's a, a, a great group of people. Another thing that I like about it is because, and I know Ryan has plans to go beyond just a podcast, but mm-hmm. for right now it is a podcast and I'm a big fan of theater, the imagination too. So yeah. you can do so much. And, you know, for, as an actor, you're using something that you use, whether you're on camera or doing animation or podcast, your voice, your, that's, that's your instrument. Right. Uh, yeah. So what's that like to kind of put everything you have into your voice? It's fun. It's new for it's. It's not new for me. It's actually it's actually the first form of the the first thing I ever got paid to do, performance wise. And this is absolutely mm-hmm. true. Is uh, I used to be a uh, school teacher. I used to be a long term substitute teacher. And my the sixth grade class had this book called Maru of the Winter Caves, and <laughs> I had to. I I got paid like. $3 and 75 cents an hour when I was in my twenties and I had no money. So I was like totally willing to do it. Um, my mom was like, I need to have this recorded. And I recorded this book, this chapter book, you know, for the sixth grade social studies class. And they used that book for years. Like, because I really wow. put my heart and soul into that, into that reading. Uh, I think it was on cassette tapes. I'm always, uh, and I do a lot of stuff with them, um, selected short, um, yeah. which is a podcast. Uh, so I, I, I've been lucky enough to read um, some of Neil Gaiman's um, short stories mm. that he asked oh, me to read, wow. which was really um, special and a bunch of other things I've gotten to do for them. Uh, so I love that. I love being able to, to use um, just, just to use my voice. When I audition for things, for voiceover stuff, it's always, um, I always feel very insecure about it, but, and I don't totally know why. Um, mm-hmm. And that's its own, that's its own conversation but i know that like, when <laughs> i'm doing this it's really fun and i'm a theater girl that's where i started yeah. um, doing stuff and that's where i i sort of get a lot of my training from and you do have to kind of use so much of your imagination sometimes because 
you know, you're restricted by budget, budgetary things, or you're just in like a black box with 30 seats, and you make it into whatever you're going to make it. So this is actually for me, um, the the grand experiment for me has been like, oh, you can literally be anywhere because you're just using your voice. You can yeah. literally say anything, you can do anything, you can, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm still learning about it. It's, it's super neat. Yeah, that's great. I do want to talk a little bit about uh, Penelope Garcia, obviously somebody who sure. was important to you the last few mm-hmm. years. And um, mm-hmm. her arc was absolutely amazing, what she went through and, you know, getting shot and all, having a boyfriend mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, and then, you know, losing, uh, you know, when Shamar left the show, yeah. she lost somebody who she was really close to. Um, yeah. have, have you had time to reflect upon her a little bit? Oh, I reflect upon her all the time. I mean, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, she completely changed my life. So it's, and I, and I, when Criminal Mind started, you know, when it was just the pilot that they were yeah. going to put on, they had cast a man as Garcia and really? they had shot it. Yeah, they shot it. And then they looked at it and realized, oh, this, this episode of this show is going to be too guy heavy, but we're in the middle of shooting it. We need to put a woman in that part. And I knew a uh, casting associate at the office. I had done theater with her. And all she, her whole job as a casting associate, her whole job is to just not necessarily bring in people to, um, to get the part, but to bring in people to show like, look, we're bringing in actors that you don't know and that they're, they're good. They're not going to make, you know, the, the director when they watch it, they're going to be proud of the spectrum of people they have auditioning. And my friend called me and she said, do you want to read for this part? You're never going to get it. And mm. she was just, so the whole concept of me going in and auditioning was just make my friend look good. <laughs> and I was like, I can do that. Cause I know I'm never going to get it. And there was a certain kind of freedom. And I went in, I read for it. And uh, I remember going, I was at, I was sitting, going to get coffee. I was on my way to one of, I'm not exaggerating my five day jobs. And I got, then my phone kept ringing and it turned out it was them. And they, gave me this part, but it was only supposed to be a two line co-star in the hierarchy of uh, television roles. It goes series, <laughs> regular guest star. It goes a bunch of other things. And then the very last thing before you are a background artist is co-star. So I had two lines and I was in the first episode and I was not supposed to be in anything else. Sci-fi talk returns in a moment. And so I got that and I remember them saying, well, you're just going to be here for a second, bring some business clothes of your own. And I did, and I didn't have any business clothes and they, they put me in this sweater and they were like, well, we'll just do this. And then I was lucky enough to get brought back for the second episode because I tested well, whenever math populace, they show the show to people said, oh, we like when that girl talks. So they brought me in for the second episode thinking, we'll just bring her in and then we'll bring somebody famous or better to play this part. And I was lucky enough to have chemistry with Shamar, which both of us were sort of like, what's this? This is cool. And they started to copy how I dressed at the time to sort of inform her. And I kind of worked with, I, I, her desk had nothing on it. And I would come in and I'd put it, my grandmother's candy dish. I I started putting (laughs) things on the desk. And I started to say, could she say this instead of this? Could we do this instead of this? And I would always learn it the way that the writer wrote it. But then I would say, could I, you know, so she was built from the ground up. And because 
Criminal Minds is such a great collaborative place to work with so much respect for everybody that that it was everybody start. It was like a game of it was an improv game. It was a game of yes and because you've got the costume designer going, yeah, now we're going to do this. And the writer's going, yeah. And then the set designer and then me. And and so we built her from the ground up. She wasn't a character there. So it was that was just so special. And then to go through the show and be, I've, uh, Garcia was on more episodes than any other character. There's more sci-fi talk, so stay tuned. Hello, I am C-3PO, Human Cyborg Relations. This is Leonard Nimoy. Hi, I'm Angel Colby. Um, I play Guinevere in Merlin. Hi, this is Billy Boyd. I play Pippin in Lord of the Rings. And you're listening to Sci-Fi Talk. Live long and prosper. Back on Sci-Fi Talk, I'm Tony Tolato. And not only that, yeah. but she is the empath and she's the eyes of the audience. And she, she's very special to me. And then I was looking at, I, I've co-written for Criminal Minds episodes, including That's our right. finale. And yes. um, it's been really special to be able to caretake her, you know, to be her, um, her guardian. And yeah. um, how, how people relate to her is so lovely because that has nothing to do with me. People are watching a two-dimensional image on the screen in their house. They're having a relationship uh, with somebody based on them and they don't know that. So when someone comes up to me and they get so happy and excited because they love her, I know that that means that for whatever reason, she made them feel good. And, but that's on them. That's not on me. And it's, and it's super neat to be that kind of character. She's certainly not a villain, right? So it's fun to like, play a character that wherever you are in the world, I just took two plays I wrote to um, the Fringe Festival in Edinburgh and, you know, just to have strangers come up to you and like be so excited to see you is really cool. Like, you know, and I'm kind of an introvert, like quiet kid. So, you know, usually when someone's staring at me, I'm like, "Uh oh, is there something in my teeth? And like, what's going on? And, (laughs) you know, to constantly find out that it's just because you made somebody happy is real nice. I did like the, um, her her story where we got to see her family when she went to San Francisco and yeah, yeah, we got yeah. to learn a little bit more about it. I thought that was awesome. And uh, yeah. I think you wrote that episode too, as a matter of fact. I didn't write I didn't write that one. The one and I, oh, okay. I agree with you, I like that. And the, what's neat about, you know, television, when it's been on for fifteen seasons, that is a game yeah. of 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 improvising because they add something in a scene and then you've got to go back and the why I think that show does as well as it does is because there's so many things that we do that aren't in the lines or that are in the lines that mm-hmm. we all remember. And then we take care of the characters in mm. respect to that um, character Bible, if you will, all of us yeah. together. Like I know what, what Spencer would and wouldn't do in a scene. So, and I know what Garcia would, wouldn't, wouldn't do with Spencer. So we do this dance, even without the lines, we, we do certain things with each other and, and we all genuinely love each other so much that it's um, we, we protect uh, everybody else's character too. And I think that that um, translates through the screen. You can tell that there is a, an undercurrent of authenticity that you can't make up. You just, you can't make that up. And we just have, I mean, I love them all. We, we still all, you know, see each other and all that, but yeah, I I wrote the, um, I wrote Nelson's, I co-wrote Nelson Sparrow. I wrote them all with Erica Messer, our um, executive producer. And when we co-write, we, that's literally what it is. Like she writes half, I write half, 
and then we keep swapping the acts until nice. they sound like one voice. And uh, she's just such a joy to write with. But I mm-hmm. wrote Nelson Sparrow, which was the one where um, you find out about sort of the end of um, Gideon's arc, Mandy Patinkin's character. That's right. I That's co-wrote right. Spencer, which was the one where Matthew Gray Goobler's character goes into jail and it started this big long arc that Oh, that was fantastic. That was fantastic. We we did that one. And then I wrote Oh, Beautiful Disaster, which was Shamar Moore's last episode. Yes. episode. And then the series finale, which will air um twenty twenty of uh, springtime. Oh wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fantastic. That I mean <laughs> the only the, the only thing I would say about her though is it's amazing how many glasses frames that she has. And she does. I bought my, all of those for her too. Did you really? My wife and I would look at her and say, that one doesn't work. <laughs> but, but yeah, I like the, this. So you know what's funny is, you know what that's funny. You say that that actually pleases me greatly because um, when I first started the job, you know, I, I wear glasses and I have an astigmatism and I wear glasses all the time unless I'm wearing contacts. So they had brought in like, a guy, they were like, oh, you wear glasses. So we'll have this guy come in and that we're going to show you these glasses and you'll pick them out. And I suddenly realized like, I don't want to do that. Cause then I'm a walking free advertisement for something that I don't even know if I like. And right. so I was like, I started to go buy cooler glasses that they, that they were willing to pay for her to have. And I bought them from this place that I know about in LA called LA Works that does wonderful stuff for charity. And they're just oh, a great cool. company. So I bought all my glasses through there. And, uh, and I had total control over Garcia. No one ever told me what glasses to wear, how to paint my nails. Yeah. Those, those things I always had, that was like, so they would put me in something and I would look at all the glasses and be like, which pair of glasses would Garcia wear? It doesn't necessarily mean the prettiest, most flattering, the thing that matches. It doesn't mean that. And it's not even the pair that I would want to wear. It's not the pair that I would look at and go, that's a good pair. It's what she wants and she has a entirely different fashion sense which is amazing than uh i do so um yeah but those are all she has about she has about 65 pairs of glasses and i own them all they're all they're all upstairs all catalogs and they belong to me maybe they'll be in the smithsonian someday you never know (laughs) right (laughs) if my cat if my cats don't keep sleeping on them yeah maybe they will yeah, yeah, I, I have one of those too. I know what it's like. Um, but that's that's fantastic to hear that. I mean, I love it when uh, an actor can come into a show like that and literally create a character and just add more layers and layers to her as the seasons go on. And uh, I mean, she's. I always thought of Penelope as I have New York Comic Con coming up. I always thought of uh, if I go to New York Comic Con, I would see Penelope there. So, you know, that's the oh, kind yeah, of person sure. I think she is. You know, for she sure. Is. You know, before we go, I, I have to say that I was surprised that, uh, that you actually have a distillery. I do. I co-own a distillery with two of my friends. We're actually next week going to Berlin for like a, a thing called Bar Convent, which is a big nice. distillery nice. convention thing. But it's called uh, the Blinking Owl Distillery. And it is in yeah. Santa Ana, California. And it, if you ever have a chance to go, if anybody's listening, it is like adult Charlie in the chocolate factory. And more oh. than that, uh, we make really amazingly, we just, we have just the greatest distiller and, and Robin and Brian Christensen, who are two of my dear friends that I own it with are um, just, just their aesthetic is so amazing. And 
we um, are committed to buying organic California grown um, from California farmers. We nice. uh, use a lot of green practices. We're trying to use sort of the Dan Barber business model of uh, you can make a delicious product and, you know, gentle to the earth and, uh, yeah. people will, you know, pay for it. Yeah. I love it. I'm so happy about it. And, and the, one of the greatest cool things to me about it is Robin, one of the people I own it with Robin Christensen used to be a physical therapist. And when I was a starving artist, I got recommended to her and I uh. went to go see her and we hit it off. We like, you know, it's not, I don't often like just hit it off with like a physician I'm seeing, but we were talking, whatever, and she said, okay, you got to come back next week. And I said, I can't afford this. I don't have health insurance. I shouldn't even be here right now. And I had told her I was, I had written this play and she said, give me tickets to the play and just come back next week. And I did. And then we became like fast friends, but she treated me for something I really needed treatment on for free. Mm, and then nice. fancy day job happened. And then she, her and Brian turned around and they were like, Hey, you know, a few years ago, they were like, we want to open a distillery. And I was like, yes, I didn't even think about it. It just seemed like that just seems like a neat thing. I don't know anything about that. And it's really fun. So like on the weekends, I go there and bust tables and wash dishes. And it's, <laughs> it's, like, it's really fun. That's great. I, I love uh, I love I love distilleries and uh, I, I'm here in New York City and we go up to the Hudson Valley. There's a few up there and oh, I just yeah. love I love all the different things and people bring in. And, and I like the little guys, you know, it's. Uh, yeah, and we that, are a small business. We're we're a when you get there, if you look at if you look us up online, we're at blinkingowldistillery.com. And if you look at it, it's impressive because nice. we you we serve there, but we also make we're grain to glass so we mill the grain we do everything there so uh you stare at our still which is giant and is named <laughs> after our rescue pets you know but we make like some amazing we make um aquavit we make a barrel a barrel vacation to aquavit we make um mm. uh an orange vodka that we use orange county oranges and we soak the oranges in the vodka so it's not like an essential oh. oil Kind of vodka, wow. you get the peel, the pith, the whole, whole orange. It's like, it's like mm. an orange took you on a date and put on some Maxwell and it's a good kiss. <laughs> it's a really good, it's a really good vodka. Um, we make all kinds of things. We make a bourbon that just, it's, it's new. I mean, it only aged for two years, uh, but it is yummy. Um, oh, and wow. uh, we make a lot of, we make a lot of stuff. It's, it's a good place to go visit. That sounds great. And I, I know you have other things to do today, but I really appreciate your time. And, uh, oh, yeah. you know, I've, I've known Ryan. I interviewed him when he was doing Reese. So a few years ago, and we reconnected last year and I'm totally on board with this. Uh, you know, Voice of the Stars is a lot of fun. And I would certainly like to see it at least at the very least in animation. Uh, yeah. Hopefully more. Yeah. yeah, but uh, great to talk to you. I mean, I yeah, just really did. admire your work as an artist and uh, what you've done and uh, and what you're about to do. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. It was a pleasure sure to meet you. you. Uh, same here. <laughs> same yeah. here. Thank you all for listening. This is uh, Tony Tolado. We just spoke to Kirsten Vangs Ness about her work on Voyage to the Stars and, of course, Criminal Minds, and she's a distiller, too. How about that? Till next time, take care. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and you're listening to Sci-Fi Talk.